Friends, we're going to jump right into the preaching of God's Word again this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them to 1 Peter chapter 4 with me. 1 Peter chapter 4. This morning, we're going to focus on verses 1 to 6. And we're going to consider together the victory of Jesus over the grave and how it applies to our lives today. We're going to, we're going to focus on verses 1 to 6, but I'd like us to begin by reading up in chapter 3, verse 18. It says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Go down to verse 21, the end of verse 21. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And now our passage for this morning, chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way that God does. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this Resurrection Sunday morning. The grave is a dark place. Except in horror films, when someone is buried alive, the grave is only a place of death, death and darkness. The psalmist in Psalm 88 says that those who go down to the grave are cut off in a region of deep darkness. The grave is a hopeless place. It has a, has a morbid finality to it. Now, you may not spend your time thinking about the grave. In fact, I hope that many of you, most of you do not. But perhaps, like me, you spend your days feeling the grave. Maybe you feel the reality of death in your life. We all do. And this is because the wages of sin is death. If we know sin, and Scripture says that in this fallen world we all know sin, well then we all know death as well. The, the ultimate sentence of sin is death, but the daily effects of sin are hints of death and hints of the grave everywhere in our lives and in this world. You know that battle with depression? That is the shadow of the grave over your life. You know, your endless battle for faith and your, your wrestling with fear and doubt, that is the curse of sin seeping into your mind and into your heart. 
You know the relational pain and the relational difficulty of life? You know that fun family night last week that was ruined because of that one comment from your wife or, or from your husband that you were just unable to get over? That's the darkness of the tomb in your home. You know the constant draw to look at things that you should not look at and to say things that you should not say? That is the, the crushing weight of your mortality in your life. You know that constant feeling of being defeated in life. The, the inability to consistently live how you want to live. That's the poison of sin in your world. The grave is a dark place. We all know what it is to feel the, the talons of death reaching into our lives and, and clawing at our souls, which church should make it all the more amazing to us this morning to consider that the son of righteousness, that the prince of peace, the light of this world lay in darkness for three days. He lay in the grave. He was buried. He was wrapped in the garments of death. But death could not keep him. Darkness could not hold him. Sin could not entangle him. He rose from the dead. He rose bodily from the grave. And he was seen and spoken to by 500 witnesses. Historical fact. And that historical fact means hope for you today. See, sometimes we, we can view the resurrection in only eternal terms. We say, we say things like, well, he defeated death and therefore we have eternal life. And that's true. That's gloriously true. But that is not all that he did for us in being raised from the dead. His victory over the grave can also dispel the shadow of the grave in your daily life right now. Folks, Peter has been talking to us a great deal about the hope that we have in God and how our eternal hope in God gives us strength in the midst of our suffering because we now know who we are and we know where we belong, where we're going, and that's true. But I don't know about you, but I can be tempted to ask the question, but Peter, what about now? I know I have victory then, and that does comfort me in my suffering. But Peter, why? Why do I feel so defeated today? Why can't I overcome the, the simplest of sins in my life? Well, friends, Peter is eager to care for us this Easter morning. He is eager once again to infuse our hearts with hope, not just for eternity, but for here and now, for today, for, for this week. Here's the main idea of the text this morning. The victory of Jesus over the grave arms us for victory today as well. The victory of Jesus over the grave arms us for victory today as well. And, and we want to consider this by answering this question. How does the resurrection give us victory today? How does the resurrection give us victory in our day-to-day -day life? And we have four answers to that question. Point number one. The resurrection equips our minds. Point number two, the resurrection fights our sin. Point number three, the resurrection defends from attack. And point number four, the resurrection promises life. Let's begin with point number one. The resurrection 
equips our minds. Verse 1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. The word therefore for arm yourself is a, is a military term, just like it sounds like. Tom Schreiner says that, that this verse speaks of the need for Christians to have determination and grit in how they live their Christian lives. And, and that's very true because to arm yourself speaks of a need to fight. You, you don't arm yourself to go and take an afternoon nap. No, you arm yourself to get a job done, even to wage war. It speaks of being equipped for a task at hand. And so, do you feel defeated this morning? Friend, do you feel the darkness of the grave overshadowing your life? Here's the question that Peter has for us. How are you going to fight? What are you going to arm yourself with in all of that? And Peter tells us that we are able to arm ourselves very well. Now, it may not feel like what you expect. It's not a physical weapon to pick up and carry with us. No, what Peter first of all tells us to do is to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. Church, how we think determines how we fight against darkness. How we think will determine what we do when we feel defeated. The Christian life is in large measure about the mind. It's about our thoughts. And so how do we arm ourselves with the same way of thinking? What does that even mean from Peter here? Well, he says that we set our minds on the victory of Christ. And we can see that's what he means here because the language of verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, that language clearly ties us back to what just came before this passage in verses 18 to 22. So, so the thinking that we are to arm ourselves with is first of all an expectation of, of suffering. Even as Christ suffered, we too will suffer in this life. Peter has spoken this to us repeatedly in his letter. We should expect hardship. But it's more than that here. To arm ourselves with the same way of thinking as Christ is, is not simply to expect suffering in this life, but it is to have hope and confidence in and through our suffering. Because listen, as we saw last week, Peter didn't end in verse 18 with the sufferings of Christ. No, he went on to speak of the resurrection and even the ascension of Christ as a demonstration of his victory over every evil power. He's won. And so to, to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking is not just to expect suffering, though that's helpful. It is also to expect God's glory and goodness through our suffering. Church, this really is the gospel, right? To arm ourselves with the same way of thinking is to put all of our confidence in God's word and in the work that he has done for us. Christian, did you know that this morning? Morning, know that your victory in life is not determined by how hard you work or how well you perform. No, your victory has already been won by God. And his victory over the grave is able to transform the way that, the, the way that you think and the way that you live. See, the resurrection is the greatest guarantee that God has been and God will be faithful to his word towards you and towards me. 
If, if he can defeat death as he promised that he would, well, then he can be faithful to all of his words of promise to us as well. And therefore, we can have confidence in him and in his many and great promises to us. We can arm ourselves with the word of God, arm ourselves with his many promises. Do you know the story of, of the Pilgrim's Progress? The Pilgrim's Progress was written by, by John Bunyan, and it's about a young Christian walking through his life and, and, and dealing with the different places of doubt and, and fear and temptation as a Christian. And at one point in the story, the, the main character, whose name is Christian, and his good friend, whose name is Hopeful, that they are captured by giant despair. And giant despair throws them into the dungeon of Doubting Castle. And they're stuck there in that dark dungeon, a dungeon of fear and doubt, a place where giant despair was preparing to come and, and kill them once and for all. And they were stuck in that place, unable to escape, until they remembered that they had been given a key for the Christian life. It was called the Key of Promise. And when they tried to use that key, they found that it worked on every door in Doubting Castle. It was the key out of darkness. It was the key out of despair. And it worked. Friends, the resurrection equips our minds by giving us hope in God's many and great promises to us. These things, His Word is able to pull us out of the darkness. And we can, we can look to Him with confidence because He's already won the biggest battle over the grave. Are you depressed this morning? Friend, use the key of promise that says that Christ is the light of the world and this light is able to dispel the darkness. Use that key in your life today. Do you battle doubt? Use the key of promise that says that your life is not about how strong your faith is. It's not about how strongly you believe. It's about who you believe in. Think about how patient Jesus was with all those who doubted around him. Use the key of promise that says, regardless of the strength of your faith, the fact still remains this morning, Christ rose from the dead. Do you feel defeated by your sin? Do you feel defeated by your spouse's sin or someone else's sin? Arm yourself with the key of promise that says the resurrection has broken the chains of sin and death in your life and in your spouse's life if they're a believer. You don't need to despair. You don't need to give up on that relationship. You have the key of promise. The resurrection equips our minds and our lives with exactly what we need. And that brings us to our second point this morning. Point number two, the resurrection fights our sin. It fights our sin. We can see this at the end of verse one when it says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin or stopped sinning. And, and what Peter is saying here is not that we can, as Christians, just stop sinning altogether in this life. That's not the point of what he's saying. But what he is saying is that when we suffer like Christ, particularly when it is suffering that comes from fighting for faith in the midst of darkness, or when we suffer persecution for doing good, these, are, these moments of righteous suffering are evidence 
They are proof that we are on the same road of victory that Jesus was on and that we are actually connected to his victory. And therefore, it can even be said of us that we have ceased from sin because in him we are truly victorious. That's how confident we are in the resurrection. Tom Schreiner says this, he says, The the point is not that believers who suffer have attained sinless perfection as if they do not sin at all after suffering. What Peter emphasized was that those who commit themselves to suffer, those who willingly endure scorn and mockery for their faith, show that they have triumphed over sin. The, The struggle for faith itself is evidence The willingness to suffer at the hands of others who don't appreciate our devotion to Christ. These are things that prove that Christ has had victory in our lives. And friends, just a word of application here, a word of of encouragement to those of you who, who struggle with doubt. Maybe as a Christian, doubt is a constant companion for you. Maybe you're naturally a skeptic and faith does not come easily to you. But if that's you, I think this text can encourage you this morning because it reminds you that even as you struggle with doubt, your place with Christ is very secure. And your struggle is actually evidence of his victory in your life already. How can I say that? Well, because apart from Christ, you would not even be struggling with doubt. You would be dead in your trespasses and sins. You wouldn't care about your faith at all. If not for the victory that Christ has already had in your life, you wouldn't care two cents about the strength of your faith. But because of his victory, you are now wrestling for faith. It's not perfect faith. It's filled with doubt. It's filled with weakness and fear. But it should encourage you that you are wrestling because it's evidence that he has already had victory in your life. Friend, if you're doubting this week, let this encourage you. And this is not the only way that the resurrection fights our sin as seen in this passage. We can see in the next section that it helps even more practically than this. When it says in verse 2, to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but, but for the will of God. Peter's saying that the resurrection has drawn a line in the sand. There's an old life and there's our new resurrected life with Jesus. Even as we heard Kathleen wonderfully talk about in her testimony earlier this morning. The resurrection of Christ changes us. We we once lived for human passions, but now we live for the will of God. This is who we are. And in case you didn't know what the will of God is for your life, church, it is victory over sin and death. That's his will for your life. Peter says in verse 3, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. The will of God is that we would be free from these things. And and not just these things listed here. Peter is speaking about any area of sin that controls your passions. So is is it sexual immorality? 
Have you grown comfortable with having casual sex outside of the covenant of marriage? Is it, is it substance abuse? Do you allow yourself to be controlled by something that you put into your body? Maybe it's smoking weed or, or drinking too much in the privacy of your own home. Are you controlled by anger? You know, you don't need to be a person who yells and screams to be a person that is controlled by anger. That There are mountains of anger and mountains of bitterness in the most quiet and timid among us. The silent treatment towards others can reveal that anger controls us just as much as someone who screams their head off. I don't know what it is. What, what is it that controls you? But whatever it is, here's what Peter says. He says, You've had plenty of time to be ruled by those things. Your life apart from Christ, whether it was for five years or 10 years or 50 years, your life before you became a Christian was plenty of time to live under the control and the rule of those things. But now that time is over, Peter says. It's done. A new day has dawned and it comes with a new master and a new ruling power in your life, a new controlling force for your world. Christian, do you know this morning that the strongest power in your life is the resurrection of Christ over the grave? I know it feels like your sin is the strongest force in your life, but it's not. The resurrection of Christ has the greatest power in your life. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the mind that is set on the flesh is death. If, if we think about things in this world and focus on these things, we will perish. But the mind that is set on the spirit, he says, is life and peace. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Christian, through the resurrection, you have been given all the power you need to fight sin in your life. You have been given the high ground in your fight against sin. Do you know this about hand-to-hand combat in battle? If you have the high ground, you have the advantage over your enemy, right? If you have the low ground, it's very hard to win that battle because your enemy stands over you and they have authority over you. They push down upon you. It's hard to find that victory. They have the advantage. They have the power as they stand over you. But when you have the high ground, you have the advantage over your enemy. Christian, do you realize this morning that you have been given the high ground in your battle against your sin through the resurrection of Christ? You are no longer under it. You are over it. You are no longer being controlled by human passions, but rather by the grace and power of God. You, through the risen Christ, now stand over your sin. You are promised victory eternally, and you are promised power immediately to fight your sin. You are able to defeat your sin. You are armed for war. This doesn't mean that we won't still battle with sin along the way. It doesn't mean that we won't even still have really big battles. It doesn't mean that we won't fall and and fail in those battles. At times we will. Sin still affects us still. Sin still fights back. But when we feel so defeated by our sin, as if victory has been lost, Church, that is when we need to arm ourselves with this same way of thinking. 
The Christian marriage that feels like it's falling apart at the seams, they can keep fighting because they know that the battle is ultimately won and the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in them and in their marriage. They don't have to give up. He won't give up on you. God is with you in the trenches of your marriage. Men and women who who struggle with a pornography addiction, you you can spend the rest of your life free from that sin. You, You can. It's going to take faith and grit, but King Jesus is fighting by your side. You can be free. Those given to other sins, sins of laziness and anger and self-pity and self-righteousness and all other forms of immorality. Church, we have the high ground in our fight against sin. This really is the, the difference between Christianity, which we celebrate today, and every other religion in this world. Every other religion says, work hard and God might accept you. Christianity says, God has worked really hard for you and his spirit now fills you and you are now able to live a holy life, pushing back sin in your life, not because of a bunch of rules that you need to follow, but because you have a new and joyful and loving master who is enabling you to live the life that he has called you to. He's fighting by your side. Holy living, victory over sin and death. It doesn't come from legalistic rules. No, victory over sin in our lives comes from spirit-empowered, resurrection-infused faith in King Jesus. He is with us, and through his resurrection, he has given us the high ground in our fight against sin. May we not give up. May we continue to look to him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He fights for you today. He's with us. Point number three, the resurrection defends from attack. Very briefly this morning, look at verse four. It says, with respect to this, with respect to our holiness, to our pushing back against sin, with respect to this, they, non-Christians around us, are, are surprised when we do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign us. Peter says, our victory over sin, our holiness, our godliness, should be visible to the world around us. People should be able to notice something different about us. But he also says that when they do, it at times will come with slander and with maligning. People will not always understand the decisions that we make for ourselves or the priorities that we make for our families, and they will get angry when we do not join them in what they are doing. But Peter says that we are able to endure these attacks because we know that we have victory in Christ. Verse 5, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The the resurrection defends from attack in that it reminds us that a judgment day awaits those that are mocking us today. They will stand before a holy judge and they will have to give an account for their actions. This helps us when being attacked. This is exactly what Jesus did when he was being attacked. Up in chapter 2 verse 23 it says that when he suffered he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, his Father in heaven. And friends, we can endure attack, we can endure slander, we can endure maligning as well when we look to our Father in heaven and know that before him we are secure. 
And so if you are feeling lonely in your faith today, if as you are quarantined with with family members who do not respect your love for Jesus and who do not respect the decisions that you make with your life, if you have classmates or doormates who love to highlight how different you are from them, friend, you can rest in the fact that Christ is standing with you and that God the Father will defend you on that final day. The resurrection defends us from attack. That brings us to our fourth and our final point this morning. The resurrection promises life. Verse 6 says, For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now when it says that the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, it's not speaking about purgatory, just like we talked about last week. No, it simply means that the gospel was preached even to those who are no longer with us, to those who had been alive to hear the gospel be preached, but who have already died. What Peter is saying here is that the reason the gospel is preached is to give life in the midst of what feels so much like death. A final judgment is coming, and what feels like life in this world, all the immorality that we could give ourselves, all the pleasures of our flesh that we could give ourselves over to, what feels like life in this world today will prove to be death on that day. And what feels like death today as people misunderstand us and malign us and attack us for our faith, what feels like death today will prove to be life on that day. This is the gospel, friends. It's foolishness to the world around us, but it is the wisdom of God for our lives. It is life for those who enter into the gospel by faith. This is what the resurrection declares over us this morning, this Easter morning. The grave is a dark place, it says. And we feel the shadow of the grave creeping into our lives from every side. But that does not mean that death is what defines us as the people of God. No, not at all. The gospel says that all who come to God by faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, who bore the weight of God's wrath in our place, who was buried and who rose from the dead, anyone who comes to God by faith in this one is victorious. Death cannot touch us. The victory of Jesus over the grave means victory for your life today. Redeemer Fellowship, let us arm ourselves with this same sort of thinking, particularly on this Easter morning where we are all feeling somewhat defeated and lonely at home during a global pandemic as we see and hear about death all around us. May we set our minds and our hearts and our souls on the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Because the victory of Jesus means victory for us today as well. Amen.